Welcome to Hard Sell, a podcast where my friend and I give each other the hard sell on a piece of media that we enjoy, such as a podcast, a video game, a set of albums, or a sports documentary. My name is Cody Morin. My name's Tim Bloom. My name's Colsey Hanula, and I don't know how to feel about you changing the uh, things we say in the intro. <laughs> I just thought I'd change it up a little bit. We shift know. them from I, time I to it, time. I keep reading it every time, and okay. I just, you know... I will thought you, maybe I'd say different things. We usually like Tim and I'd say different things. I'm we just say sad different that things. podcast musical isn't there because I feel like it's a staple genre for us. Well, we've we only do had, frequent them. Yeah, we've only had one, and it's been a while. Yeah, well, no, it's it's a good to switch it up. Another one. Once we pitch another one, I'll stick it right back in there. No, All right. You're encouraging Cozy to pitch another podcast musical. <laughs> Why are you doing this to both of us? I mean, she could pitch us like off book. I would I would listen to off. Sure, Does that count that's as true. A podcast musical. Yeah, it's an podcast. It's an improvised podcast musical. All right, I'll take it. Um, but anyway, so we talk a lot here about different forms of media. But ironically, I'm trying to cut out some forms of media from my life. Mm. Um, hmm. I really dislike the second half of this phrase because it's typically associated with very non-scientific things but have you guys heard of a digital detox uh yes i have heard of this no uh i uh, mean so i can like have context clues i'm guessing yeah. i know what it is but <laughs> i don't think i've heard this like up. as like a thing yeah um but yeah so it's something i'm trying easing my into my way into it but basically i am on my phone way too much yeah um Reddit is the most obvious one for me. Sure. I will doom scroll on there all day and then close the app or refresh and just start again from the top and scroll through all the same articles I've already gone through. Yep. Seeing if there's something new that's popped up in the last 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, as though I'm going to like find something new that I care about. Or like Twitter sends me a notification of something they know I'll click, because I usually do. You've got to turn Twitter notifications off. That's mistake number one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, so I had them off for a while, but then for some reason they just turned on. I think maybe when I got a new phone. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I would click on it, scroll for 20 minutes, and then realize, like, I don't actually like Twitter or, like, anything on it, so why am I here? (laughs) Uh, Facebook is similar, uh, although I don't have that installed on my phone, so at least I don't get notifications, but people message me on there. Yeah. So I'll go on there to be like, oh, did anyone message me? Or did something sell on Marketplace? Eh, I might as well scroll through and see what's new as long as I'm here. Sure. So uh, I am trying to get rid of all of, most all of that from my life. There's different ways that I've kind of looked into going about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the first like easiest cold turkey way not necessarily easiest but uh easiest way to cut it out at least would be to just like get a dumb phone sure you get like no apps you've got texting calling whatever there's actually some cool phones out there there's one called the light phone it's got like an e-ink display like the kindles and other Mm e-readers and it's like purpose built for this thing how is light spelled in this case l-i-t-e or l-i-g-h-t uh l-i-g-h-t okay um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty much, I think you're limited to calling, texting. They have their own maps integrated. Um, uh, you have a podcast and a music player. It's not Spotify. Um, I think you can subscribe to feeds for podcasts, but music you have to like drag over yourself like an iPod. Yeah. And then it's got like an alarm and a calculator and that's it. Hmm. 
uh, how well do you think you guys would fare doing something like that? Uh, horrifically. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I mean, I think two things, because I've heard of this, and I've also thought of this. Um, I've, I've, since the pandemic, I have been on my phone way, way more. And, like, I've always been addicted to my phone. But, like, um, your example of, like, doom scrolling, I have uh, five or six different apps or websites. I do that. And, like, I swap back and forth forth between them and can eat, like, a full weekend day just, like, looking at my phone. Like, not even, like, doing any hobbies, but truly, like, eight hours straight just, like, sitting looking at my phone doing nothing so like i get the appeal however i also do i use my phone for and like apps for it for things that matt like are important to me like i will Mm -hmm. i'll do things like i'm in various like arsenal communities that i mostly communicate on i guess i could do that with my desktop but a, it's less convenient, and B, it kind of defeats the purpose if I'm, like, I'm just doing it on a bigger screen than my phone. So, like, I – and I use my phone for, like, because of what my job is, I sort of need to be aware of, like, what's happening on a – maybe not, like, a minute-to-minute basis, but, like, hour-to-hour basis at least. And not just what's yeah. happening, like, in the news world, but, like, what people are talking about and, like, what the trends are. Like, I have clients who expect me to tell them if, like, something is going viral when, like, there's a new trend of X, Y, and Z or this conversation is happening or whatever. Like, I have to know that. So, like, it is part of my job to, like, scroll through Twitter uh, which sounds like an excuse, and in many ways it is, but in some ways it, it actually isn't. So, like, yeah. I I couldn't do that in, like, a, you know, I could for sure cut lots out, but I, I don't, I couldn't go, like, full light phone. They, uh, they expect you to tell them if, if they need to make a TikTok and do the milk crate challenge or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or the like tortilla challenge, the or, yeah, yeah, make fun of George Russell for George Russell being a X kind of guy, yeah. <laughs> Do they also need to be up on the latest uh, rumors of who Arsenal is trading for? I don't need to be put on blast like this. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and trading is not a thing in soccer. So, Whatever. You know. Okay. Cozy for sure couldn't do this. Cozy has a number of apps to try no to way. regulate her time doing this. See, well, this is why I don't need this light phone <laughs> situation. Um, it's because I have plenty of strategies to keep my doom scrolling under control. Um the primary one because I struggle with things that are like endless feeds. So mm-hmm. I don't think Twitter and Instagram I go on a lot and I kind of keep up with, but I have a pretty like because they're newer apps. I don't have that many like f- I don't follow that many people on either of those apps. So like in like five minutes, I can catch up on like Twitter and Instagram. So, like, I don't feel like that one's a huge problem. And then, like, once you've caught up, like, there's nothing to see. So, I just kind of, like, don't feel like I'm, like, scrolling on that forever. TikTok's a huge problem. TikTok's <laughs> a big problem. I will spend five hours on TikTok if I don't think about it. And that guy that comes up that's like, stop scrolling. I'm just like, eh, keep scrolling. <laughs> Scroll forever. 
Because it just, it goes forever. You can always have more TikTok. So my strategy, and then uh, I I used to, this was a very long time ago that I had a problem with Facebook because again, it was just like, I, like, I felt like you could scroll forever and I just would because I like felt mm-hmm. like I was never caught up and that like killed me. So I just, both Facebook and TikTok, I've deleted the apps and I still nice. have Facebook and TikTok. And if I feel like I want to browse TikTok, I can go and uh, open it in the browser. It's a far inferior experience to do <laughs> TikTok through the browser. But that makes me uh, scroll less. So I think that actually contributes to me being on TikTok less. And then I have to like actively seek it out. It's not just like an app sitting on my phone that I'm mindlessly like clicking on. It's like I go on TikTok when I feel like being on TikTok for a little bit. Or on Facebook, it's like I'll check it once every couple weeks because my mom likes to tag me and stuff on there. And I like to comment <laughs> on that. And that's pretty much all I really need Facebook for. Um, Anyone I actually want to keep up with through social media, I more or less follow on Instagram. Okay. So that's kind of how, that's kind of about where I landed. I think just a little bit more even cut out than that. Sure. Um, Everyone has different personal apps that cause them problems. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I went kind of extreme too. So like, so I have an Android phone. I don't remember if you guys are iPhone I think yeah, iPhone people users. have both iPhones, iPhone. Yeah. So with Android, there's this concept of like a launcher where like iPhone, you open it up, you've got all your apps on your home screen. And that is like basically the way it will always look besides that you can like toss some widgets and stuff in there now, I think. But for Android, you can use like a custom launcher that will totally overhaul the way your phone looks. Hmm. Um, and I have started using a new one called Before Launcher. Um Basically, I don't know if, Cozy, if you looked up a picture of the light phone, but Mm -hmm. it makes the phone interface pretty much look like that. When I open up my phone, I see uh, eight things on my screen. It's black background, white text. That's it. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is, uh, I had a similar thing with Tim where, like, there are communities and stuff. Like, I'm in a number of Discord chats that I like to keep up with that I wouldn't have on, like, a dumb phone. And that... it's nice to have that, like, similar to texting that I can get a hold of people every once in a while if I need to. Um, but besides that, it's, like, the basic, like, Gmail, Maps, Photos, Phone, whatever. Um, but, so I've, like, uninstalled every social media app. So Reddit's gone, Twitter's gone, no Facebook or TikTok or anything like that. And then I've also disabled my web browser. So. Mm. I cannot open up Google Chrome and go, like, go to Reddit there or go to (laughs) see who was in, I don't know, who was, like, a secondary character in Spaceballs or something Yeah, but sometimes you need to know if who's a secondary character in Spaceballs. (laughs) Sometimes you do, but chances are someone else around me is going to look it up, so. Sure, there you go. Yeah. I'm trying to be not as concerned with having to know that info. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've been, I've had my phone set up this way for like a week now. I I actually happened to already have, um, I recently switched phone carriers and I got a free line. So I was like, well, I'll use the free line as a work phone. Uh, mm. And so now like, I don't have any work apps on this phone. So when I'm That's done helpful. working for the day, oh, nice. I put my work phone up on its charger and I am like basically not 
communicatable unless my boss reaches out to me texting or like if i know there's something that's going to happen at night that i'll yeah keep it on me for but um you don't just have like your work email up on your phone all the time right yeah so i can just you know the the other nice thing that the launcher does is you whitelist a lot of applications um what does whitelist mean for notifications so the way it works is i have like a separate area of the launcher that i can go to to see all of the notifications that the launcher has intercepted and kept me from seeing so if i don't want to see like mcdonald's telling me that i can get a big (laughs) mac for a dollar less causing me to take out my phone and then be like oh what's on reddit like i can i have most apps filtered out so that at the end of the day or like at some point during the day, if I'm actually doing nothing, I can swipe through and just like quick read through all the notifications that I would have seen and would have gotten like a buzz for to cause me to pull out my phone. Yeah. That now I can just kind of keep all that away. So I have less reasons to pull out my phone throughout the day. That is, that's the thing I sort of have done is I've shut off notifications for almost every app on my phone. Like I don't get notifications for anything other than like discord, uh, direct messages on social media and like my phone and text messages. That's it. Like I don't get anything else really. I don't get, like, work... You know, I have my work email and, like, Microsoft Teams and stuff like that on my phone, but I don't get, like, notifications from them. And I think that... I needed to do that because as, like, a junior employee in this field, I had those, and I was checking my phone truly every five, ten minutes. Like, my... And I was getting work... Because that's how often I get work emails. And, like, it was... uh, destroying me utterly so that (laughs) that turning off notifications is like the is key i think yeah because then like uh it it can still be too much but it can't like run your life you you like it runs to your self-control versus like your phone literally buzzing being like look at me all the time yes yeah and i think that's been one of the most helpful parts of it but it's been it's been nice like Uh, I can tell I'm using it less because at the end of the day, I'll have like 80% battery left. Yeah. Don't really touch my phone. Um, Yeah. I have to recharge my phone halfway through the day every day. (laughs) Well, speaking of work, utterly destroying you. (laughs) I had a feeling that's where you're going with this transition. (laughs) Uh, Last episode, I pitched you on severance and I'm curious to hear what you thought about it. You did. I'm also curious to hear what you thought about it, because you were three episodes in when you pitched me, is that right? Yeah, so I had said that I thought I was through episode four, and yeah. Cozy seemed shocked, uh, I don't remember if that was on or off the podcast, that I was able to stop on episode four. Yeah. Well, I learned later that we had only made it to episode three, and then I Classic. watched episode four, and it made sense why she felt that way. Yep. Um. So... I need to do something unprecedented, um, w- which is um, you're gonna not right now. Uh, no, I'm. I loved this show. This is a <laughs> fantastic show. Um, I have lots of good things to say about the show. I have no interest in like attempting to. Uh, I'm not planning to like run through the plot in detail. Yeah. 
Um, Because, again, I don't think that's particularly helpful. But I will say, before we start talking, if the plot of Severance, which is, again, a sort of, like, comedy-slash-psychological thriller about a evil company who bifurcates people's memories into a work life and a home life um and the journey of the employees who are the severed employees whose whole life is just working at this company um if watching a show like that is up your alley just go watch it it's great it's an there's it's on apple tv you can get a free trial or ping a friend to get their login it's completely worth it so Definitely or check it out. If you um, if you have any interest in psychological thrillers generally, even if that like premise doesn't sound that interesting, like this is way worth checking out. Yeah, I and would for sure. It's, a, it's, a, it's the kind of show that really does benefit from going in without being spoiled on it. So yes. try to avoid spoilers. Yeah. Uh, so to speak about the show, I don't have, I have like, so I watched it with Cozy, which is always hard because we watch it on the couch. So normally when I consume hard sell media, I'm in our little office. I have two monitors and I have whatever it is, the game or the movie or the show or whatever, up on one monitor. And then I have a, a notes page on the other monitor. Sure. Uh, and I'm like taking notes as time goes. And so I have everything like kind of chronological I did not do that. I watched this whole show and then I prepped all at once. And so what I have is just sort of like a scattershot random bullet point things of like things I wanted to talk about um, in no real order. So if you were like, maybe I'll just listen to the first part. The only part I'm going to talk about that's in any sort of meaningful, organized, chronological order of any kind is I just want to read the summary very quickly, of the first episode. Okay. So this is the first episode via Wikipedia. A woman wakes up in a conference room with no memory of who she is or where she is. She's given a weird survey and then learns that her name is Helly and she's a new hire at a company called Lumen Industries. She's allowed to leave, but finds she's unable to do so. She keeps trying to like run out of a door, but finds she just sort of winds up back in the office every time. She then sees a video explaining that she's undergone the severance procedure, which has split her memories to create a version of herself that only exists inside the workplace. Mark Scout, who's played by Adam Scott, is the lead of the show, works alongside Helly in Lumen's macro data refinement division, and he discovers he's being promoted to department head in light of co-worker and his best friend Petey's sudden departure. The outside version of Mark is a former history professor grieving his wife's death and living in the Lumen-subsidized town of Kier, Kier Egan being the founder of Lumen. Uh, he encounters a man claiming to be Petey who gives him a letter with cryptic instructions. Mark returns home and interacts with his neighbor, Mrs. Selvig, completely unaware that Mrs. Selvig is actually his boss inside of the severed floor, senior manager Harmony Cobell. And it sets up so this first episode was incredible. Like, it gave me the... I understand who all the characters are. It introduces Heli in a really unique, meaningful way. You immediately get a picture of who both versions of Mark are. It introduces um, Irving, who is, like, Mark's most 
insufferable coworker. <laughs> uh, it introduces um, uh, Dylan, Mark's other most insufferable coworker. Um, you for very different reasons. Very different reasons. You understand that, like, PD has left under mysterious st- circumstances. I was like, at the end of that episode, I was invested. I wanted to know what was going to happen. I basically knew where things were going. Like, you understand that there's going to be a plot line of the show about Heli fighting back and, like, trying to either decide to fight back or try to assimilate. It's going to be about whatever this weird shit that Harmony, Cobell, slash Mrs. Selvig is doing. It's going to be about Mark and his journey with Petey. Like, you know all the stuff, but you don't know any of the details. I was like, this is the perfect setup for this kind of show. Yeah, very much so. And there's a lot of stuff that is, like, totally up in the air. Like, they make it seem like... uh there's a very good possibility that like Mrs. Selvig slash Miss Cobell is also severed. Yep. Like, Mm -hmm. because her personality is completely different outside versus what it is inside. She's like super serious on the severed floor and Mm -hmm. very like typically pretty like quiet and like collected, but can also like show quite a bit of anger. But like up in the real world, she's like, bubbly happy nosy neighbor yeah she's sort of like goofy and flighty and yeah yeah, it's just very different um but yeah i was that like reasons like that are why i didn't care that i was only three episodes in when i pitched this to you because i was like this is a show that i know is not going to like get bad based on how well the first few episodes had been done yeah, and, like, how invested I was in the plot and the story to that point. And worst case, if it did end really poorly or in some stupid way, like, we would talk about that, too. Yeah, but, uh, I suspect this show may end poorly, but we'll we'll talk about that. Um, however, again, love the season. Everyone should watch the season. Um, <laughs> OK, so that's that is episode one. If you have not been convinced yet. I don't know what you're doing. Put your headphones down. Go watch the first season of Severance, then go back. Um, I now have my just list of like random bullet points, again, in no particular order, just stuff I want to talk about and or character things. Sure. Uh, first thing, the acting is great throughout. There is no weak link in this show. Like... Every single one of these characters is great. Again, like Dylan, uh, Zach Cherry playing Dylan George is just like a fantastic character. This coworker who like loves the company perks. Um, John Turturro as Irving is like maybe the most like moving of many of these characters <laughs> in lots of different scenes. Christopher Walken as Bert is amazing. I mean, Christopher Walken playing <laughs> yeah. a very un-Christopher Walken-y role. Yes, very um, much so. I love that. I love what like old actors are like, I'm just going to do some weird shit, totally against type. Um, and great. really well. Yeah, he's excellent. He's it, like, sometimes you forget some of these people are like, excellent actors um but i think like the highlight for me is adam scott as mark like his i mean he's the lead so the camera's focused on him but like the way he plays like a totally broken person in both versions of himself 
um, w- again, without feeling like pathetic or without it seeming like he has given up, but like he's a shell of himself. And also it's not really depressing. Like this show, there were a number of times watching the show. I like turned to cozy and I was like, this is a comedy. This isn't a thriller. It's like mostly <laughs> a comedy. Like there's an <laughs> undercurrent of like humor or like surrealism. Uh, I feel like it's it's a comedy in the way that like Shit's Creek is a comedy and not the way in like The Good Place is a comedy. Yeah. Where like the humor is not punchline jokes. It's like no. very like honest character moments can be really funny. Or uh like complete absurdity also. Yeah, right. But like absurdity that makes sense in this like world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In this very weird world. Yeah, there aren't a ton of, like, yeah, you're right. There's not, like, punchlines. People are not, like, razzing each other all the time or whatever the case is. It just, like, is an extremely funny show. Um, And he did, like, an excellent job. Like, I don't think of him as a bad actor, um, but I think he totally killed it. I think he's one of those actors that, like, I don't know, at least for me, I just don't really think about often. Yeah. Like... You know, I think of the shows he's in, and I think of the other people before I think of him. When I think of the actors in those shows, yeah, whether it be like Parks and Rec or like The Good Place or some other some other show I've seen him in, but this, yeah, he he takes center stage and he runs with it, and like both playing basically two completely different characters, yeah. Yeah, I think in general, this show does an incredible job at, like, creating two worlds. There are two worlds, inside the severed floor of Lumen and the world outside of it, that, like, both feel like distinct worlds, but also feel connected. And, like, a lot of that is how the acting comes through. Mark, Adam Scott is playing two characters. There is the, like, severed version of Mark which is its own character, and then Mark Scout, who's another character. And they bo- he manages to make them both feel like distinct people, but mm-hmm. also feel like two halves of Mark. And like that dichotomy is like what this show is about. And so if he was not yeah. able to do it, this whole show falls apart. And I think like that is the really kind of like the secret sauce to this whole show is the ability of these actors to like perform at that level. Yeah, I think we only really see glimpses of the other characters, like, outside of their severed Mm -hmm. um, personalities, but I think they all do a really good job of, like, I feel like if one or the other is on stage, I could tell which one it was. Yeah. Without having to know, like, which one, if that makes sense. Like, the way, like, their body language, like, the way they carry themselves, the way they, like, talk and, um, like not even just like phrasing but just like their cadence kind of changes it's it's so subtle and it's so good yeah completely um so yeah i thought that part was great i think when i was watching adam scott play mark um the vibe i got was like a ben stiller character um i think mark comes across with a similar sort of like ben stiller characters often have kind of a like put upon-ness uh and they're sort of they're often sort of like nerds slash assholes but there's always something kind of likable to the put upon-ness yeah. uh 
And so it's not surprising that the show is like show run and mostly directed by Ben Stiller. Um, and I've never thought of Adam Scott as like a Ben Stiller type. No. Um, but I think like there was a lot of Ben Stiller in that performance. And like knowing that he's the director is totally not surprising to me in in how that character came through. It's surprising for a lot of other reasons. We'll get to. But I, I think <laughs> there you could feel Ben Stiller come through in uh, Mark Scout, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say the other... I don't know if you had anything else to say about Adam Scott specifically. Feel free to the, jump in the whenever. The other character I really liked was the Miss Cobell character. Yes. Just like how mm-hmm. many sides to her there were. Mm-hmm. She's played by Patricia Arquette, and I think she's one of like six people in this show nominated for like actor, actress Emmys. Yeah. Um, and she's just... Like, she is so many different personalities and characters all wrapped into one Mm -hmm. that it just comes across as a very interesting, very well-played character. Yeah, because part of this show, like, I think she's also sort of key to the show because part of what it wants to say is, like, the reason you can't separate your brain is from like work to otherwise is because even outside of work, we are playing characters all the time. Like Mark plays a character when he's talking to Rickon versus when he's talking to his sister versus when he's on a date. And I think like it is most true in Cobell's character slash Mrs. Selvig where like she pretends to be a doula or like maybe is a doula uh, for long swaths of the show, or like a, a lactation consultant. A, like you're yes. right, a lactation consultant, not a doula. <laughs> Even more wild, I would argue. <laughs> um, but like she pretends to be a flower shop owner. Like she truly shifts as the need. Even when she's on the severed floor, even at work, she changes so drastically between different interactions, and it's uh-huh. hard to tell. I think until the last couple episodes, like who she is really or like what yeah. she's trying to get at. Um, and yeah, I think she does a great job. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I totally agree. I think Patricia Arquette was fantastic in the show. Um, another bullet point. I like the relationship between Mark and Helly a lot. I think like, mm, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so Helly joins the floor. She absolutely hates it. it it culminates you know she keeps trying to get out she keeps trying to resign it culminates at the end of episode four in a suicide slash murder attempt um and after that mark and heli sort of like bond in a shared interest of like trying to find out what lumen is up to and like what they're actually doing on the macro data refinement floor um and i think like so many of these and it becomes like a love story basically but like so many of these stories can feel a little like forced and i think they like gave it enough time and like mark adam scott plays mark convincingly enough as like a kind um empathetic person despite being like her boss in this hellhole that she truly hates that like the pitch of she hates this place so much that she's willing to kill herself like one week in to get out is, but also is going to like hook up with her boss 
is could be hard to stomach but i think again i think it's credit to the acting more than anything else that they're able to make that come through in a way that feels authentic yeah i mean mark comes across as someone who's like who's not doing these things because he likes heli it comes across as like he does these things because the severed version of mark wants to be a good person and like wants to help his coworkers. yeah and like wants wants her to like it there right like you know they're severed people they meet seven he's probably met like 10 people in his whole life functionally uh and this is a new person that he like wants to be happy or if not happy at least like okay and that uh there's like an empathy there that i think comes through really well um, more notes. The viciousness of Heli's Audi is intense. So there's a scene where Heli um, wants to resign, tries to submit a resignation request. Her Audi uh, denies it. So she grabs a paper cutter and threatens to cut her fingers off unless she gets to send a video message to her Audi uh, saying that it's hell and that she gets to resign. The Audi responds with a video message saying... You are not a person. Stop pretending you're a person. You don't have rights. You're nothing. And, like, that moment was fascinating. Because Heli, up until that point... Because what it drives home is that the Audis are not the same as their innies. The thing the show is not trying to say is that, like, you are who you are. What it's trying to say is you are who you are based on context. Um, And I think that's correct and so like hitting it using that extreme example at one point one of the characters says like i think it's dylan says like what if we all suck on the outside what if we're all assholes and like (laughs) heli being the one who is the asshole her whole life is like she doesn't want to be here but it's like does she that's going to be her arc basically in season two right is is like how can I, instead of killing myself and my Audi, how can I just kill my Audi and find <laughs> a way to not be that person? And I think that is really... Uh, you needed one, at least... Because all the other characters seem, at worst, fine. Like, seem, at worst, like, okay people, basically. Yeah. Um, having one person who is authentically awful outside of... The severed floor, I think, is really important, and making it heli is a good choice. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because you know we've got you've got like Dylan, who you don't really know much about, but like you know you know enough from brief glimpses of his life mm-hmm. to guess that like probably a pretty good guy. He's probably not like um, a sociopath. He's he's no. probably like an okay dude. Basically, he seems like a a more or less fine dad. And that's all you really know about him. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a it's a very interesting. What's the word? Dichotomy. Yeah. Character. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. I'm curious to see where they go with it. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Dylan, love Dylan would die for (laughs) Dylan. Uh, Dylan is my favorite character. He is a comic relief character for the first five or so episodes um until he is like turned on outside of the severed floor his innie is um and discovers briefly that he has a child 
uh, and at which point he like goes ballistic. He realizes how much is being kept from him. It, it like hits him how much he's missing from being on the severed floor and is like willing to go off the wall. So this whole show, the first five to six episodes of the show, Cozy, how many times did I say, like, why doesn't one of these people just, like, kill Milchick? Or, like, why doesn't one of these people just, like, choke out Koba? Like, what are they going to do? At the end of each episode, you ask me this. Yeah, every episode. I was like, when is somebody going to, like, do... They can't... What are they going to do? Fire them? Like, that's what they want. So, like, what's... What's the downside? So, when he finally just, like, snaps and, like, attacks Milchick and, like, bites him... um. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I was so happy. I was, like, waiting for that moment for so long. Especially, like, contrasted with what's going on at that moment. Oh. The music dance experience and Milchik just being, yeah, like, the worst I have more thoughts about Milchik and the music <laughs> dance experience. Um, but, yes, like, just Dylan in general and his decision to, like, again, it reinforces that, like, the innies are good people. It would not mm-hmm. shock me to find out that, like, from the outside i think basically so this is my prediction of like what this show wants to say i think basically what the show wants to say is that people at their core are basically good and like life makes you bad things happen in life that like like it wouldn't shock me to find out that like dylan is an alcoholic and like maybe kind of an absent father and was a bad husband, probably, like, divorced or something, and, like, is somebody who, like, from the outside in, in, like, a traditional TV show, you would look at and say, like, an unsympathetic character. Or, like, uh, you know, he was dealt a tough hand, but he's hurting the people around him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when you put him in the floor without any of the other, like, pressures of life he just like is a good character by the end he's willing to like sacrifice himself and his only ability to try to see his kids again in exchange for his co-workers like i think that's part of what the show wants to say and like using dylan to do it the again basically the comic relief one of the two comic relief characters in the show to do it i think is pretty brilliant so love Dylan. We'll rant about yeah, Dylan forever. I, I also really like Dylan. Yeah, he's uh, he's great. <laughs> uh, speaking of someone who's not great, Irving is the other coworker on the Macrodata refinement floor. Um, Irving is like the goody two shoes. He loves Kier. He will quote passages from their their religious text, basically, which is the employee handbook um, ad nauseum. I've worked with too many, like, corporate suck-ups to feel anything other than hatred towards <laughs> Irving for the first, again, four or five episodes. But that's what I do love. You uh, need an with... Irving. Is the yeah, point. yeah, the you thing. do. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what makes Irving's character so good. Yeah, to make it feel like that real corporate workplace. Like, there's got to be someone. He's the Dwight Schrute of the Severed Floor. Yeah, he's Dwight, basically. <laughs> um... But I think the thing, so like, I can't stand Irving. Um, however, I acknowledge you need an Irving. And I think his storyline is really, really powerful because fundamentally what it is, is that like, 
someone can be as devoted to work as possible. Like, he truly, the way they talk about Lumen and the way they talk about, like, the Egan family is religion. Like, they, they yes. quote it like scripture. They, mm-hmm. uh, they derive purpose from the, uh, like, worship of Egan. Like, that is, they're getting spirituality out of it. And, like, the second that he has, like, another human, like, the second he has to choose between, like, his devotion to a thing and, like, another human being he cares about, he picks the human. Like, maybe not the second, but very quickly. It takes him very little time to choose, like, people over dogma. And I think, like, that as a commentary on somebody who has like been here for i think like about a decade um i think is super interesting and there's a lot they can do with his character next season yeah well especially just like all the weirdness with his personality and stuff like that that you see come through at various Mm -hmm. points like i think exploring his audi character as well is going to be really interesting to like see because the glimpses that you see of him are uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I think too, like the the character of Irving, like that that archetype. The reason it's beneficial to them to like follow the rules is like because it benefits them. Like, yeah, it's not a coincidence. He's also like a white man in the workplace as well. Like the person that the rules benefit are always the people who everyone else kind of looks like them, especially the people in power. Like they, they following the rules gets them the most advantage and it's easy. It's very straightforward until all of a sudden he realizes like, Oh, there's more to life than like quote unquote climbing this corporate ladder. Like (laughs) he's like, Oh, I, I can like find meaning outside of this or like it, it stops being advantageous to him to uh, like follow all these rules because he like real he finds like a different motivation and I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I I do I get like you said, Cody. I also think it's fascinating. He's the only character we see have like visible bleed over between the severed yes. and unsevered versions of himself. And, like, the question as to why that's... I think there's an argument to be made that they all have bleed, and his is just more pronounced, where he is painting this hallway over and over and over again, like, compulsively. Um, But, like... like, his hallucinations on the inside as well. Right, of the paint. Yeah. Yeah. I think... um, I wonder... Because the thing he paints is not the elevator, like, that goes up. It's, like, the elevator that they put miss casey in for the testing floor so it makes me wonder a little bit if either he was like a really early severed like a person that they Mm. like either he like came out of the testing floor or something and maybe like he's having issues for that or if like he something else has like been test you know i think they there is like an illusion uh in this show to maybe like further like, using each of these people to kind of test certain things. Like, I think with Mark, and I'm sure we'll get into this at some point, but with Mark and Gemma and, like, seeing how far they can take certain things, like, I almost wonder if, the, like, Irving has, like, a, a different thing they're testing for, like, veterans or something 
And like yeah. that's part of his like bleed is that something happened to him on the testing floor and that's part of why his like stuff is the way it is. Interesting. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, but I'm curious. I do think uh, last note on Irving specifically as a character, his uh, you smug motherfucker at Milchick <laughs> when Milchick uh, retired Bert uh-huh. was like one of a, like very few, maybe the only moment in the show that like took my breath away. It was like so <laughs> well acted. It was so yeah. there was like so much like hurt and anger from this character who is like. The quintessential, just like little tattletale corporate asshole. Um, it's the first moment he felt like a full human and not yes. like a severed half of a human. Um, and it was like incredible. Uh, well, and like his... they talk about a lot um, leading up to this, like people who have left and have like quit yeah. or retired. And this is like the first time where Irving is basically like, you're all fine with Bert being sent off to die. Yeah. It's like, oof. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of... Uh, so, yeah, I, just, I love that part. Because were you going to say something about it specifically? I, at the same time as this, was just watching, like, another separate show on HBO Max that John Turturro is in, and he's just, like, an incredible actor. And yeah. I don't know why I've never seen him in stuff before, but, like, I'm, like, ready to go look for more stuff he's in. Because, like, both of these shows, he's been just incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the whole scene of Bert's retirement party, amazing. I yeah. like the there were the emotional moments of the like you smug motherfucker and the little sort of like processional line as everyone uh, says goodbye to Bert as his innie is <laughs> euthanized basically functionally. Yeah. Um, but the video from the Audi to innie of. <laughs> Christopher Walken to himself is fantastic. I have my favorite chunk here, which is, though today is my last day with you, I'm certain you will remain with me in spirit in some deep yet completely inaccessible corner of my mind. The impression you have left on me is indelible, (laughs) though I'm unaware of it on any conscious level. And I will not forget any of you, though sitting here right now, I have no recollection of ever meeting you, no idea of your names, any of your physical characteristics, or even how many of you there are. Anyway... And it's it's just great. Like, it's so... I was, like, laughing out loud. Um, great scene. Again, yeah. Christopher Walken, true gem. I was Googling around later. John Turturro was cast first and is friends with Christopher Walken and, like, convinced Christopher Walken to come on the role. Interesting. Uh, and I'm so glad that happened because he's oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's one of the ways we were talking about humor in the show, like it's not pitched as, like, a joke. Like, that is his character's, like, actual, like, thoughts on this, like, this so weird thing of him retiring from this place where he doesn't know anyone. But like you said, like, it is so funny listening to. Yeah, because fundamentally, the people who do this do not view their innies as people. Like, Helly's Audi says it, like with her chest like the most like straight up just like says the thing but that is how they view it like uh you know Bert's Audi does not view any Bert as like their own person it's just like it's you know there's like a detachment from the reality of the severed floor uh that because that's fundamentally what severance gives you right is detachment is like 
an idea that I don't have to care about what happens there. So if you if you reckon with the fact that there are people, it defeats the entire purpose of the severed floor. Um, and so what they have to do, if you're going to do this, you have to have the cognitive dissonance that like it's not a people. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like it isn't anything. Um, and that's not true, but that is how they look at it. And it, it the just sort of like complete lack of empathy and the just sort of like brutal casualness <laughs> is is like is hilarious is like so funny in its surrealism yeah because it's very much not like they're seeing it as this is their own person it's very much like this is me and i just don't remember it and i'm just going in and doing a job and coming home yeah and that's all it's the like more being there asleep is to, it, to them on the outside yeah basically being asleep yeah I think too so the I think one of the most like nuanced takes on the like severance process is when at the very end when like Mark's innie is talking to his sister about like why Mark S like chose to do it. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, in his case it's like his wife had died, he was just having such a hard time with it and like kind of wanted eight hours to not have to think about it. And like her saying to him like um he he hoped you would be spared the pain like kind of like mark it's like this almost optimistic view of like he wanted there to be a version of himself that didn't have to feel this and like it's that that was one of the moments for me that was just like weirdly like powerful because like i think when you see the lives of like the severed characters you don't really get that but like you could see how someone would like think about it that way yeah and it's just an interesting like uh, juxtaposition to like Heli, yeah, right? And then and then you think about the like literal torture that they undergo or undergo as innies. Yeah, and uh, Mark right. S is not spared from a whole lot of pain. No. That pain, that specific pain, yes, yes, but pain in general, not so much. Right, yeah. and like to what extent? Like they also talk about like. I think, like, PD says to Mark, like, you carry it with you. Like, it's not gone. Like, you still feel it on some level. Like, y- you may not know why y- you feel it, but, like, you know, your body carries pain, especially, like, emotional pain. Like, Well, especially physical pain, but also emotional pain. Yes, but, <laughs> like, it-, it doesn't go away just because you don't know it's, like, there or yeah. aren't thinking about it. And that, again, like, that sort of thread also makes me believe there's bleed happening. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that Mark's innie becomes more... I understand that PD, all the PD stuff is happening on the outside at the exact same time. But, like, I don't think it's a coincidence that Mark's innie becomes more and more open to the idea of rebellion at the same time as his Audi does. Like... I don't think it is a coincidence. Like, I suspect that part of what is going to be found out is, like, there is bleed. And even if it just starts as, like, mannerisms and phrases or things like that, I suspect that, like, severance is not fully complete. Um, But anyway, we'll see. This is just a prediction. This is nothing about the actual show. (laughs) Um, More notes. The show changes completely at episode five after heli's attempted suicide murder which as an aside when when she describes it is like both so brilliant and so like you know she describes it as i didn't 
yeah, devastating. Like she's like, I didn't want to commit suicide. I wanted to kill her and have her know I did it. And like, yeah, that oh, it's so like cold in a really great way. Um, like the show changes. It, I think it started as sort of kind of like a psychological thriller. You're, kind, but it's pretty slow paced. You're kind of it's it's more workplace comedy than it is psychological thriller, really. Or like, like setting up the characters to get you to care about them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and after episode five, it becomes a puzzle box show. Like, it becomes like a lost or a, like, leftovers kind of, or like one of those shows where, like, there's a, a core thing and there are subplots, but, like, the core thing is, like, what is Lumen doing? And, like, that is the thing the show becomes. Mm-hmm. Um and I liked both versions of the show. I liked the super kind of methodical, slower-paced, day-in-the-life style early. And I really liked the... I think it I think it really shifted tempo and shifted frame in the second half. But I think it hit both versions. Um, let's talk about Rickon. <laughs> sure. Love I love Rickon. I yeah, love Rickon. Rickon. <laughs> is so much and is perfect like he's right he's i wouldn't even say he's on the line like i think he's just like the perfect character he is i i've i think heard or seen him described as like tobias funke's long lost cousin (laughs) um sure i mean truly just like a great character the moment where he's like we need to hang the moment where he needs to cry over the baby uh, during birth, the moment where he's like, we need to hang the sea kelp, and Mark is like, why? And he just sighs and says, do you really want me to explain? <laughs> right. Yeah, I think his, like, great. not just his, like, you know, absolute belief in everything he, like, all of these kind of, like, I don't know how to, like... Like, new agey, like, yeah, s- beliefs. Philosophies, like, kind yeah. of spirituality type Pop practices. <laughs> yeah, um, combined with the, like, he, but he he's fully aware that how he comes across to people who don't buy into it. And, like, mm-hmm. I think that really, like, grounds his character is those moments where he's, like, talking to Mark and he's like, I know you don't buy this, but um, I'm doing it because I believe it. Yeah. Um, it. It's also, like, the... His book being in the work in oh my left God. in the in the conference room <laughs> and that being the thing the this like Rickon awakening the innies to class consciousness is incredible. <laughs> like yeah, it's it's really great. Like when he when severed Mark meets Rickon on the outside. Oh, oh my god. It's so <laughs> it's good. So good. I, um, like every line they read from that book and you're like again you think about it in the con oh you have some okay so like but you think about them in the context of like how you would read them in the real world and you're just like okay like you kind of roll your eyes at it but then you like yeah. think about it if you have literally only known work and you're like oh my god this is like a totally like it, it's absolutely insane the like way they can like flip meaning if like you would think about a version of you that has only ever been in a in a severed workplace (laughs) yeah i i mean again this dude i think i love the last episode for a lot of reasons but i also love how it frames rickon's character which is like 
Rickon maybe doesn't even fully believe all these things, but he like <laughs> he finds meaning in the community. The the community and like the the act of of belief, even yeah. if or like the act of like manifestation, even if in his heart he knows like it, you know the it's kelp. bullshit. Like the yeah, the, the doing, kelp isn't doing anything specific. Yeah, the like ritual <laughs> of hanging the kelp up gives him meaning even if he kind of knows the kelp is itself meaningless and like yeah uh which you know i've had you know in in that moment they were about to have a child and i've yeah obviously i have two children you've hung the kelp up twice now (laughs) well it's like there's there's a lot of that moment of when you are the guy or the spouse who you're you know your wife is giving birth like that i just felt not useless, but kind of. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're not like, doing the, the hardest part like, of this, and you yeah. really have nothing you can do yeah. to be I would like, say very little super contributing. Yeah. <laughs> like a nurse would like have me do something, and it's like, yeah, this is maybe helping, but really, it's just like so that I feel. I'm being humored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So like, I understand that like that drive in a moment like that to to want to do what you can to help whether or not you even believe it on like every level mm-hmm. like yeah. to have that feeling that like what you're doing it might be helping well i yeah. think too like it's not i've seen on like tiktok and stuff like people's having to have like specific music and outfits and decorations and all these things for the mm-hmm. room to like it's not that different from like it just no. has like a slightly different of like trying to make this like first moment of uh, for the baby like perfect or whatever which again yeah. i think we all know that that's not real you, it's impossible like something you can't predict every moment it's like having yeah. wanting to have a wedding that's 100% how you planned it like it's not <laughs> a realistic expectation but yeah the the like the process is important mm-hmm. the ritual yeah. is important yeah i think so and like i don't know just a great character his whole thing about like they need they have all of the beds that their child will use because changing <laughs> beds is traumatic um and yeah. like this whole monologue is so funny and so perfect um and like mark's response to him constantly is perfect the way that he like you know it's cl- it's just like perfect brother-in-law behavior of like mark isn't an asshole to him and isn't rude but also is just sort of like He's just kind of like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, it's very, (laughs) oh, it's so good. My favorite Rickon book quotes are, um, what separates man from machine is that machines cannot think for themselves. Also, they are made of metal, whereas man is made of skin. (laughs) Um, Bullies are nothing but bull and lies. Um, At the center of industry is dust. Um, that's the one where that's the one where I was most like the severed people are like holy shit. Um, I like can so imagine them being like that. I'm also like picturing Rickon coming up with these, and he just like yeah. took a bunch of workplace buzzwords and like like just like yeah, words that he words. wanted and uh-huh. was looked for other words in them. He, I'm just like picturing him like trying to chop up all these words to find something like inspirational. Uh, supposedly, the head writer of. Um, 
uh, Severance has written 50 pages of this book. Oh my gosh. Uh, so I have to believe that the whole book will come out at some point, at which oh, point my we God. may need to have like a read-along or something. Yeah, um, I think so. Last favorite quote, camaraderie comes from the Latin camera, which means a device used to take a picture. Um, <laughs> I mean, moi. So wrong Incredible. on so many levels. <laughs> um, the only other one that I isn't an exact quote because it's too long is the one where he goes on a long diatribe about his failures in the literary world being painful until he realized it was all of literature that was wrong, not him. <laughs> um, I mean, just true excellence uh, from yeah. Rickon. I could watch a show just about Rickon. It would be a sitcom. It wouldn't be this show, but I could watch a show about Rickon. Yeah. No, um, he he wouldn't fit full time in a, in a show focused on him in this style. I don't <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> I do think too because they I don't I should have written it down. They they have that quote from him that they say right before they like the final yeah page finale. one ninety seven slaps. Yeah, um, and I it like. Again, like, some of these quotes, like, in the context of the severance, like, floor, they just, like, feel inspirational. <laughs> and you're like, mm-hmm. somehow I'm buying into this, like, pop psychology bullshit from Rickon's book. And, like, <laughs> because Dylan believes it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, more notes. The last episode, incredible. I think the show starts and ends very well. Um having the last episode happen basically in real time like it's mm-hmm. it's shot so 40 minutes pass as roughly 40 minutes pass and you're jumping from character to character to cover off like travel time and things like that um mm-hmm. is incredible i was like yelling at the screen throughout yep. the episode like hiding yep. my eyes gasping yelling at cozy um yeah i think the the time they take in making you watch these characters walk places builds Ugh. tension in such an incredible way like i i was it, it's like chilling like it's because you if you don't have to feel that time passing like i don't think this feels the same like you but the way they just like make and but it doesn't seem excessive like it doesn't seem like you're um like boring it's just like so much you're like willing the character to just like walk a little faster (laughs) i mean there is a moment in the first episode that is so such a contrast you have the opening with heli on the table going Mm -hmm. through this survey freaking out that she can't leave the room and then i think the intro plays and then you cut to mark coming down the elevator going to work and it is i think a minute and a half long tracking shot of him through the hallways Mm -hmm. yeah just like winding through with like happy chipper office music playing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, there was one bit speaking of all the hallways. Have sure. you guys heard of something uh, called the back rooms? Mm, no, I'm not sure. Do you know what a creepy pasta is? Yes. Like okay. the website. Uh, it's just like the general term of like, horror legends and stories shared primarily like on the internet okay sure um there is i'll I'll shoot it in the discord there is a one of these is called the back rooms that popped up on 4chan like four or five years ago 
um, and started like this whole craze of I think they're called like liminal spaces. Oh yeah, liminal spaces. Yeah. Oh Like yeah. spaces that just feel like off and like in, like empty offices, tight hallways, empty malls, or like that general feeling of like unease and eeriness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is like this whole place. Like, that it just feels massive and endless and almost kind of, like, spooky scary. Because, like, who knows what you're going to find if you went the wrong way. Or, like, you could just completely get lost because there's no signage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a a great, uh, like, short film of the back rooms made by, like, some 16-year-old, if anyone cares to go look it up. Like, a basically like a horror film Mm. of someone like falling into the back rooms and like navigating a place like this, but in a more horror setting. That's really interesting. Um, I mean, I remember going to like take your child to work day and the place my dad worked at was like huge mm -hmm. hallways for days and like cubicles for days. And so like we would walk for like 20 minutes to get from the front door of the like place to his desk. And I was just mm-hmm. like, so like I, there was no way I could have navigated back to anywhere else, even with signs. Like I, even like, I just think like it, it definitely like when, especially cause I was like, I was young and I didn't, it was like bad at directions. Like, it's not like you have to navigate anywhere when you're that small anyway. But I was just like, I felt so disoriented trying to like, navigate through that place yeah so it definitely like hits the nail on the head of like that style of office too i mean it it exaggerates it for effect but in a in a very accurate way yeah yeah well and i think i think they said like the idea somewhere i read that um the back room specifically was like an influence for severance Mm, yeah Um, and like that that idea yeah i mean i I think too as an architect like the absolute lack of daylight like daylight's important for a lot of reasons um to like Mm -hmm. get into spaces but especially in like an office building or anywhere like one of the most like critical like things for daylight is like it helps you track time um and so like not having that also like loses a sense of time in a very like specific way uh just like psychologically it's like the reason casinos often don't have windows like and, like, so b- basements can feel, like, very spooky and stuff. Like, that's a huge, like, contributor. So having this whole thing be, like, buried down where you have no, like, daylight is also, like, contributing to the uh, sense of unease. Yeah, I mean, as someone who for many years worked in an <laughs> office slash industry where I was not exposed to sunlight while I was working... because like partially for like security purposes of what I was doing, but also just like the areas where I worked on the floor. Like, yeah, it is, uh, that was probably frequently my biggest criticism is like, I just want a window Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we just like, couldn't have it. Yeah. You're a vampire doctor, right? That's what you do. I am. Yes. (laughs) I thought so. That, that was my past job. Um, the other I'm just thing, a regular doctor, I've cured my vampirism. Yeah, I can go outside again. Great, I'm so glad. <laughs> um, this not that, but the conversation you were having was is a good segue to this is the best directed television show I've seen in a very long time. 
I think it's wildly impressive that this is basically Ben Stiller's second directing job ever. Um, yeah. Because I think this show is shot so well. I understand shooting is like cinematography and stuff like that. It's not just the director. But it's it's done so well. The way they use like super high contrast of everything mm-hmm. gives it that super surreal feeling. Um so many of these shots are beautiful during the music dance experience. The shot in the <laughs> reflection of the monitor of Dylan's face with Milchik dancing like a like jester behind him yeah. is like like the show's beautiful in a way that is totally unlike TV shows that I've seen recently. Like the the thing it reminded me of was like Oscar movies is like Moonlight and like Manchester by the Sea and like. Arrival, like all my favorite Oscar movies, look like this, and I'm like the ability to like get that quality by Ben Stiller on an Apple TV show is just like wild to me. Uh, so I was so impressed, and I think some of the stuff they do, like the creation of those hallway, like the hallways themselves go a long way, set design, things like that. But it's also how they shoot it, and I think it's part of why that last episode feels so good. Um, not only I was noticing while I was watching that they do a couple things. One is the blocking that Cozy mentioned. Every character is moving constantly, except for Dylan, who's very much stuck in place. Um, (laughs) every other character is moving constantly. Mark is in a party, but he's going from room to room to room to room. Um, uh, Irving is like running around his room and then trying to, Irving is moving slowly and that helps like ratchet up that tension. Uh, Heli is getting shuffled from room to room to room at this party, so there's so much movement compared to the rest of the show. Um, but also, it's how it's shot, and it's it looked so visually different. So I went around digging to find if they did something different, and I was correct. Um, in an interview with Metacritic, Ben Stiller talked about this. For most of the show, the crew used dollies, so they set a camera on like a big. Uh, sort of like wheeling contraption thing and then like move it around and what it does what dollies do is they give like a very static you know it's not a person holding a camera so it's like a very static the angle's not moving all that much it's it's very solid it gives it this like stale flat feeling or like yep. comparatively and the entire last episode is used uh filmed using steady cam so using a camera person with a contraption like holding the camera and it's not like cloverfield like jumping around all over the place but it it makes it feel more flowy as opposed to everything else that has felt super like static uh, and it's just like little stuff like that in the background is this show is like filled with really smart choices like that, that I like, so cozy and I just watched the Obi-Wan show on Disney plus, <laughs> which is like one of the worst directed shows I've seen in a very <laughs> long time. It's like truly, it like took me out so many times watching the show. It's so bad. Whereas, like, Severance felt like I was immersed in this world. The Obi-Wan show felt like I was watching um, people play dress up as Star Wars characters. (laughs) Yeah, and so, like, uh, it, it, like, blew my mind how well done, just, like, technically, this show was from top to bottom. 
Man, I hope it keeps it for the second season. <laughs> I, I have to imagine they would keep that. I would at least. think so. I mean, just like the quality of things like that in general, like going into yeah. the second and hopefully not many more than that season. Yeah. Like, I'm hoping they will not do the typical American thing of running shows into the ground forever and like. Yeah. It, it feels like they have a story to tell and like. And they will tell it in like a shortish number of seasons. I think this should have been a miniseries. Don't I and knew this was gonna I know happen. that's a hot take and I know you all were ready for it, but I I almost want the show to end now. Like I almost am okay with them leaving a few loose ends because I just cannot see a way they wrap this up that's gonna feel satisfying. And the like I feel like there are, like, movies that end without, like, wrapping up all the loose ends. Like, I don't think they can quite end it where they did. But, like, I think you can, like, have one more episode and, like, really have a satisfying, like, show. And I, like, that's what I want. I want one more episode and, like, like a not a whole season. Uh, did you know that the season was supposed to be ten episodes? I didn't know that. Uh, the season was ten episodes. They scripted out ten and decided to end it on nine instead. So, like, there was a tenth episode planned for this season that was set after the overtime switch flipped that they decided... They said the the flipping back of the overtime switch is the best way to end the season, so they changed their minds. But, like, wow. it was I going almost... to be ten episodes with the tenth being whatever the first episode of the next season will be. It feels bad because I want to know what happens next. Like, part of me wants this to be done. Like, part of me wants to, yeah. like, let the whatever happens when the switch flips back be at my head cannon, And I never have to see what they, like, which way they choose to take it. So here's my theory about this show. And here's where I'm afraid. Here's where these shows go wrong. These, like, puzzle box shows, in my opinion. Um, they go wrong when... Because there are twists in this show, right? There are plot twists. There are su- surprises. There's there were things that surprised even me. Um, wow, I know. But the thing uh, that goes Tim spent like the the like day before we watched the er, episode where the Gemma reveal happens. Tim kept asking me why Miss Casey didn't have a first name, and I was like certain he was gonna figure it out. I, like, like, circled the drain so many times. There has to be a reason. Like, what character do we possibly know that... Why would it matter that they never say her first name? Like, da-da-da. I was like, he's going to figure it out. He's going to figure it out. It's the only other character whose first name we know who we've never seen on screen. (laughs) I would have got it. I can tell you why I didn't get it, because I have thoughts about that. But anyway, um, (laughs) my theory is these shows go wrong when creators start reading fan theories and then trying to debunk them. It's the Lost thing, right? Where, like, Lost is purgatory. That's what Lost was. That's what Lost always was. They so clearly were purgatory. They crashed the plane. They were stuck in purgatory. That was the plan. There was lots of hinting towards it. The audience figured it out. And then the creators were like, hmm, we were trying to, we wanted this to be a twist. And now it's what the audience thinks. So instead there are aliens and there's etc. And it went completely off the rails the thing I want this show to do is just do the thing. It's the same problem with Game of Thrones, right? Where, like, the thing that happened is the creators got enamored with, like, the Red Wedding spoilers for Game of Thrones, I guess. Like, the Red, you know, killing 
major characters suddenly and shocking the audience. The audience being shocked in a pause. Like you don't don't go for the shock. Go for making like the good show. And if the audience isn't surprised, as long as it's done well, it doesn't matter. And I have optimism that the show can hit it because unlike those other shows, this is much more character focused. It's not it's about the puzzle box, but it's really about Mark and Helly and Dylan and Irving. It's not yeah. really about the big overall story. So my hope is that they will be less interested in shocking people and more interested in doing the good character stuff. And I think if they do that, they have a much better chance of sticking the landing. Basically, regardless of length, it's when they it's when they abandon characters in exchange for like trying to have big moments that will like hit the audience in exchange for just like doing good storytelling shit that they could get into trouble. So jury's still out there. I don't know which way they'll go, but I'm hopeful that it'll still be good. Yeah. And that's why I'm hoping that like, this is a story that like the con, like the way the rest of the story will go. I'm hoping that is like already written and that they can like stick to their guns and follow like, they probably have in mind like how they want things to go from here and how they want things to shake out in the end for the most part. Yeah. And I want them to like stick with whatever they had in their minds for that going into however many more seasons they do. Or at the very minimum be swayed by like their own better ideas and not by like yes. predictions that are happening. Yeah. Um okay, we've been going for a while, but I have a couple more thoughts. Um Milchik, incredible. Uh, actor who plays Milchik, never seen him in anything else, I think. Nope. Uh, don't remember him. Tramel Tillman, um, amazing. As this, like, corporate stooge, he, he does this sort of, like, performative corporate happiness so well. The way he yeah. has this big smile, like, big pearly whites that the smile just, like, never reaches his eyes at all. Yep. Uh is incredible as an aside saying that reminded me when he tells mark to have kind eyes at (laughs) heli when she wakes up from her murder suicide attempt and mark's attempt to have kind eyes for like 10 straight seconds was incredible um but milchick just in general actor and the writing i don't know what his deal is he's actually the character now end of the season that i have the least I'm least confident I know what's going on with him. I think I know what's going on with um, Patricia Arquette. I think I know what's going on with basically the rest of the characters, other than Gemma, maybe. Gemma and Milchik, I think, are the two I'm most in the dark about. And I, But I, like, loved his performance. I think he was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, just every, every scene with him in it, just, like... I don't know how much he was trying to just keep up this corporate facade with all of the different, like different parties and things like that that they would get. And, yeah, egg bar is coveted uh, as fuck. <laughs> even even in the final moments of the last episode, him yeah. trying to pitch Dylan on, like I think drink cozies. cozies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, he was. Uh, he was excellent. I agree. Big ups for Milchik. Biggest villain in the show, but absolutely great. Um, 
I loved Patricia Arquette's line. She at some point, I think, says this to Mark. I don't remember exactly, but she says the line, if you want a hug, go to hell and find your mother, which is just, <laughs> I mean, fantastic. Just need to give that a shout out. Um, what, what did you guys think of the waffle party? I I think my jaw was just like dropped for the entire thing. And I think <laughs> I looked over at Kale a couple times and I was just like, what? What is happening? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I don't know what to think about the waffle party. Yeah, it felt like... Because it doesn't really feel like it... Ha- like, in ways that, like, the melon bar and the egg bar and the, like, whatever food you have bar kind of a thing. Like, I've seen parallels of that at places I work and stuff. Like, I don't really understand what they were trying to, like, parody a little bit, like, with the waffle party. Sure. So I have a theory. Um, and it goes back to the religiosity, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they've they created – because what they're – they're parodying a couple things. They're parodying like workplaces and like corporate workplaces. Uh, but specifically the thing they are parodying with this show or like one of the things they're parodying is the way that like corporations want – have a like cult-like vibe they want employees to feel like family they want employees to feel like indebted and attached to them they want employees to be interested in the mythology and prestige of the organization and so like this is satire so like everything is super super heightened but like this idea of like they pray to cure they like do you know, it's been shown to be a cult and like, show me a cult and I will show you a sex cult. Like that is like <laughs> to, to extend that metaphor to its logical conclusion, like the reward to all of these cults, to the extent of like, there's a big father figure who is looking down and you're doing everything for his approval and et cetera, et cetera. So much of this sort of like paternal cult vibes are almost always wrapped up in sexuality in some way and so like the chief prize of being the best being you get to pretend to be the cult leader and have like sex with the cult followers is like it's extreme but it is the logical extension of this metaphor that like they are making with this satire so I was also taken aback, but like the more I thought about it, the more I was like, this if if you're portraying this as a cult, that this is a town that has been taken over and or created by a cult, uh yeah, like this this is where it would go. Like this this totally makes sense. Um so fascinating, fascinating to me. But um I was into it. It's so interesting to me that like there is because i think at some point earlier in the show they mention a waffle party yeah dylan's done it before yeah and so like and it's just a totally normal thing for Mm -hmm. them because that's just like that's just their life down there yeah Um, and from us on the outside looking at it's like oh boy (laughs) there are real life cults though that like that is not like out of the realm of like possibility yeah. If you mm-hmm. listen to as many cult podcasts as I have. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you guys ever, like, knew much about, like, the Nexium cult. Um, no. There was, like, a whole... I mean, 
I, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, but, like, there, that is not an out-of-place thing for, like, some, like, that has, things like that have happened in literal cults that exist in the world. Yeah. Um, so I thought, I thought it was great. I think the, uh, that appeal is great. I think the music dance experience, incredible. More straightforward, the metaphor there of, like, forced corporate fun. Yes. Um, Defiant jazz being the music is also very funny. Mm -hmm. Um, Milchick's dance moves, like, incredible in every sense of the word. Um, Mark's dance moves, not so incredible. Um, But really on point. Yeah. Really in character. Uh, very strong history professor dance move vibes, so <laughs> yep, that made yep. sense. Um, loved the music dance experience from top to bottom. Um, the, getting to involved. choose one uh, like maraca tambourine, or I don't know what all the options. <laughs> are, that was yeah, well castanets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so great. Just wanted to call that out. Uh, the pregnancy thing. The idea oh, yeah. that you can sever to give birth is unimaginably horrific. Um, yep. Uh, again, goes to show the level of like detachment that Lumen wants everyone to have around severance and around like their severed halves. Um, so I think it was smart to include that because the implications are like wild of like what could you make your severed half do. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty intense. And then the also one of like the, yeah, go ahead. The any version I guess for the like pregnant woman having separate names for the babies than the they ended up ha- like having yeah. in real life is yeah. also just like devastating she like, named in a the way. baby yeah oh, of course yeah. she did that's like her whole life has been giving birth to the, these kids right yeah Ugh. painful um let's talk about reveals i think there are basically two major reveals the reveal about who helly is and yeah. the reveal about Gemma being miss casey um, I saw the heli reveal coming from a mile away. Uh, so I figured I, it out, I think, in episode eight. Yeah. I figured it out in episode two, I think. When she was, like, <laughs> being given a tour of the place. And they were talking about, like, the breakfast. When they were asking her the breakfast of Egan. I was like, wait, so they... He's asking her because she knows, presumably. They have this thing, like, printed out. It's part of this booklet that they had prepped before, like, that morning. Why would she know that unless she was sort of related? And then there's a ton of little hints about how important she is and, like, why she matters throughout the show. And I was just like, there's too many. I wasn't sure exactly, but I was like, I I feel like she's related in some way to the, the Egans or anything like that. So I saw that coming. I feel sad that i didn't see the gem one coming at all did you predict that one uh i knew it was gonna be someone that we've seen before yeah like i knew i knew that was gonna be the reveal right i just didn't i didn't know who it was gonna be yeah and I, like th- it's the one that makes sense yeah because who else right. in hindsight the the only other one i thought it could be for a little while was like Helly. 
Yeah. But then it wouldn't make sense, like, if they were both coming to work and one happened to get there early, and I was like, nah, that doesn't make any sense. Right, they saw each other in the parking lot. Right. So, like, they're... Yeah, so in hindsight, I wish I would have got it. But, like, to that point, it didn't occur to me that Lumen... I think if I had known, because correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we know that the town is named Kier until the last episode. Or do we know yes. ahead of time? Um, I, I guess I'm not sure. I don't think I really at least didn't register it until yeah. the map. Yeah. Yeah, that, I didn't either. That's when I registered it. And at that moment, because like when the reveal happens... The Gemma, when you as the audience, he tapes the picture back together and you see that Gemma is Miss Casey, my reaction was like, what the fuck? Like, what <laughs> is going on? Like, how yeah. did this, like, medical device company or whatever Lumen is, like, they're alluded to being some sort of medical or pharmaceutical company, at least how they started. But, like, how could they possibly have, like, faked this woman's death or whatever? But, like... They, this town is Lumen. Like, they have, I, like, didn't, I was discounting the, like, power of Lumen. And I think if I had known from episode one that the town was named after this company, I think I would have had a more open mind to think that they could do something as egregious as kidnap someone and wipe their brain to, like, run an experiment on them. Yeah. Um... So um, I'm sad that that specific hint was not planted earlier because I think I would have got it. I'm pretty sure I would have predicted it because I was really circling the drain. And multiple times I was like, Gemma's, not Gemma, Miss Casey's important. Like, I can tell that this character matters. I just don't know why. And I was like trying to, I'm so close. I'm just, I'm just uh, sad. (laughs) I am happy to hear that you are still capable of being human in terms of... (sighs) Uh, show, movie, whatever predictions. Yeah, in some cases. Um, so I missed that one. But overall, I think, well done. Um, Watching it in a second time, I saw a lot more hints, too, mm-hmm. in how um, Cobell interacts with the yeah. wellness stuff and, like, how much she, like focus and like again i think like you watch it the first time you're like something's off but i don't know what um and i think they're like she goes and takes a candle from mark's craft bin and puts it in the room and like i did not catch the first time that that was this i like i saw her take the candle and i was like that's weird i don't know why they're having her do that i didn't notice it was the one that got placed in the therapy room and then like that's the candle that's burning when mark does the tree which is the tree that Gemma like crashed into which again his and he shouldn't really be aware of and then um the like I think there was something else too that I oh I this was a separate thing but like um I didn't catch this until someone I listened to a different podcast about severance pointed it out but the stuff Gemma reads is actually kind of accurate about their Audi yeah where like one of the things she says is to Irving is you like the sound of radar which is, like, a very bizarre mm. phrase until you understand his dog's name is Radar. So, yeah. like, there is some kind of, like, really subtle stuff in there. Like, uh, the Radar thing's not about Gemma. But, like, when I was watching it back, I was, like, catching a lot more, like, hints to a lot of things that I definitely missed the first time when I didn't have all the context. 
I was going to ask how things were on a rewatch, because, like, I know at one point in, uh, I think it's, like, the second episode, they do their whole little round circle thing, like, typical corporate icebreaker, and then there's a cut to Irving, like, looking and picking at his fingernails for, like, ten seconds. Oh, the black underneath? Yeah, Yeah. and then, like, Mm -hmm. there's nothing ever done about it again until, like... You know, until you actually figure out, like, why it's like that. But they don't make any deal out of it. So I'm sure there's just tons of little stuff like that throughout. The- oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a, I, it's a, there's definitely a lot of stuff that I, like, picked up on the second time that I missed the first time. But um, I remember I, that moment and being like, he must be a gardener. I was very wrong. <laughs> I think I, for some reason, I think I connected the, like, Irving stuff to, like, his hallucinations like the like black because i was like it's weird that he sees black ink and he has black under like his fingernail like it has to mean something but yeah i I didn't know obviously how would you know what it was right yeah um one of the final pieces i love heli repeating the break room mantra in the mirror oh yeah um it's just such a strong the only time we ever in the show see someone say the break room mantra with and mean it yeah uh, yeah being that moment of her like i'm going to right my wrongs uh like i'm sorry for what i've done and i'm the only one who can atone for it is was like very powerful and again like Mm -hmm. mark is adam scott is given by far the most moment the most time to like show the different sides of himself and like in that moment in that scene Brit Lower just like killed it i it was it was great mhm i think too uh, the that is like the culmination of like the all of the texts they have been given at lumen are the handbook the break room phrase and rickin's book <laughs> and like they take yeah. all of those things and twist them in a way that they were not intended when they were like written or given to them and like make them make meaning out of them in a different way than like it, they were meant and i think that's like a really powerful like um i don't know like i think that's a really powerful statement about like the way we use language that's like been given to us especially in like the given the religiosity of the corporation kind of like uh theme um so yeah i think that was a very powerful uh moment yeah because i mean all the other texts that they get is like the unintelligible garbage of their actual job that isn't like any words or anything like that it's just staring at numbers yeah Yeah. trying to find ones that are scary um (laughs) yeah yeah that that those being the only like written or pre-prepared things that they get is uh makes for a very interesting like what what they would get out of each of those things yeah well and they're clearly going to memorize that thing because what did they say she had to she said she had to say it like over a thousand times times. Yeah. yeah okay final thing let's talk theories um what are your theories for season two both of you I don't want to 
to talk theories because I want it to be done now and I want this to be the experience <laughs> and I would like it to be a mini series. Thank you. Oh, so, my so your, God. <laughs> so your theory is that there is that Ben Stiller is going to tweet out tomorrow. I won't see it because I'm not on Twitter, of course. So you have to let me know. Uh, that he changed his mind and that he's just canceling the rest of the show. That's um, your theory. Because you, you could but... just not watch season two. Yeah, but I want to know. You like it's if it's there I have what? to know, but like I also feel like they should I just feel like creators should be better about making things as mini series. If you don't watch season 2, it's a mini series for you. No. And it's you could not. just do that. No, cuz everyone will watch the second season and I'll have to know what happens. It's not oh it's gosh. not the same. Oh my gosh. All right, theories. Um I already said my theory about Irving being some it's some kind of like vets testing program i think that yeah yeah will come we all together. we all think they're test subjects right that's um, yes that's yeah i mean yeah because i mean even mark um is in a way a test subject going along with miss casey to like see to see how well their severance works i think that's what they all are i think they yeah. all are just about like testing how much shit they can put different people through and a if it will break severance and b at what point they rebel like i think it's testing both of those pieces and like what what demographics of people in terms of like life experiences or whatever you know like a heli versus a mark s of like what they come into severance with and like what how that makes them as an employee um uh yeah i i think my theory is that uh they're like lumen is a series like their whole thing is a series of experiments that they can try to like make into something they can sell and there's no real like work there like i don't think they're really refining data to do anything i think that is some kind of elaborate um like skill i don't think it's that elaborate like it's like (laughs) i think there's like a baseline level of like can we like get these people like they have to make sure that they're like doing something like they still have like capacity to work or whatever like they have to measure their productivity in some way and this is the way they've chosen to do it um but i i think so i yeah i don't think but i don't think it's like they're not cleaning up the ocean or whatever dylan thinks they're doing (laughs) um so here's my theory about the numbers i think the whole purpose is they are trying to inflict emotional trauma on them to see at what point they break. Like, the whole point of the numbers is they, they're numbers that make them feel emotion, right? And so there's four mm. buckets they can put them into, and the four buckets are the four tempers. Uh, there's a brief reference to the four tempers laid out by Keir Egan, um, and they correspond to the buckets they can put the numbers in. The tempers are woe frolic dread and malice and like so they look at numbers and they feel one of those four emotions and then they put Mm, them into a corresponding bucket so their work day is them feeling mostly woe dread or malice constantly with no sunlight and no meaningful break and like i think the point of the numbers is to see how much they can do that before they crack if, if the idea is, like, we tortured these people mm-hmm. and it takes them 10 years to crack, 
uh, it'll work for your office job. That's way better than this. I think it explains why their lives are so shitty. I think it explains why there is a fake rumor of a violent rebellion between different departments. Like, they're trying to figure out which emotional turmoil things trigger rebellion or trigger, like, negative responses and which people are fine with. And, like, they can tune severance based on that or they can, like, warn companies who sign up for severance based on that. And, like, I think it is all about literally torturing these people to see how far you can torture them is the is my theory. Yeah, and I, I don't... um, Yeah, I could definitely see that. I don't know... I'm really curious where they go with Cabell um, now that she's fired. Um, like, I don't know where that, like, leaves Lumen, because I think to, to some extent, like, she is the, like, heart of what Lumen is doing to the severed, um, employees that we have seen on screen. So, like, without Cobell, like, who represents Lumen character-wise? It's, like, um, Natalie Yeah, because she's, she's, like, their most devout cult follower basically yeah she's the true believer yeah she's the right hand of the of the cult leader um so like i i think i don't know if like i think it's cheap if she just comes back and it's like she was never fired so i don't think they do that because i think the show is too like smart to do that so I, I, I just, like, I wonder if she disappears, if she gets involved in a different way, if she starts to, like, help them rebel. Like, I think any way that goes could be really interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't think she helps them rebel. I think she tries to, like, sabotage Lumen for her own reasons separately from the outside, though. I don't think she does it to help the severed employees, though. So I heard a theory. She grew up in an orphanage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she When she confronts... I did not come up with this, so I can't take credit for this. I don't remember where I heard it. Um, She grew up in an orphanage. When she confronts Heli, she says, this is my, like, she either says our company or my company. Um, The theory is that she is like a bastard Egan and is such a true believer. And whether that's true or not, I think she believes it because she also has like the like, tube or whatever it is from the hospital where she was born uh, in her, like, shrine to Egan in her home. And I think she believes that she is, like, a secret Egan and, like, wants recognition, wants to, like, prove herself. And what track that takes or how she will go about that, I don't know. I also could see Milchik killing her. I could see... If she starts to, like, act up, I could see Lumen just killing her off. Which I would also be okay with, to be honest. Like, as long as it's done interestingly. Like, uh, I think that would track with who... We haven't seen Lumen fully just, like, execute someone yet. And, like... We've seen someone else fully execute someone. This is true. This is true. (laughs) But, like, uh, it it might be time. And I think that's the... uh, That wouldn't shock me. Yeah, especially if they think that, like, based on the fact that she had just talked to Heli and then Heli went out and said her piece, mm-hmm. like, if they get the idea or the sentiment that she's, like, coaching Heli secretly or something to take down the company. Yeah. Or interfering with Heli in some way, or Helena, yeah. 
or if they find out about her weird shit with Mark, um, because that seems to be totally off the books, like, that could be a problem. My, My basic theory about her is that she doesn't believe Severance works. Like, she thinks that that Lumen has made a mistake, and she thinks the way that she will get within the Egan's good graces is by stopping them from making a calamitous mistake, which is rolling out Severance before it's ready. Um, And so she's trying to manipulate the Mark stuff to, like, try to prove... Because her whole thing all along is, like, you can be unsevered. Like, it's not as foolproof as you think it is. And and Lumen does not want to hear it. And so, like, I think she is... I think it's... I don't think she, like cares i think she just i think she just wants to like get recognition and she sees her way as getting recognition of like proving that she is smarter than the people who think severance is working so this is my theory i have uh (laughs) one other theory and one other just weird thing i wanted to bring up so weird thing first is it possible that everyone in the town of kier is already severed so we've seen, based mm. on the overtime protocol, that being severed or not does not depend on place. It happens when they go up or down the elevator, but it is not actually dependent on location. You can be yeah. an innie or outie anywhere. The innies do not remember. They have to be told that they got the severance procedure. It is theoretically possible that Lumen could have severed anyone and everyone and they would have no idea and they could have blocked any memory out they could have done anything to anyone and no one would know based I mean, on we the s- logic of the show yeah because i mean we see this with miss casey that like she yeah. has been severed and is permanently a an innie like, yes she does not flip back so like it could be that like Someone like Miss Cobell has been, like, was severed and, like, brought to believe all of this stuff about herself. But if she knew too much, rather than killing her, they could just, like, turn her back off, basically. Uh, I don't think that's where they're going. But it is technically possible that, like, everyone in the world could be severed and just have no (laughs) idea, based on how the mechanics of this work. Um Long term, I think fundamentally the question the show wants to ask is asking is like in this scenario where you have two halves, is each half a person? And the answer it gives pretty unequivocally is is yes. Is like yeah. the innies mm-hmm. are their own people with their own desires and their own they like share a body and they don't inherently share anything else. Sometimes they share things, sometimes they don't, but like they are their own consciousness and their own people. I suspect by the end of this run of the show, there will be a way for the innies to like interface directly with their outies. I think we get a Adam Scott's talks to Adam Scott innie and outie scene because I think it's like the natural conclusion of this line of thought of like if they're different people with different consciousnesses, can they exist? simultaneously um i don't really have any specifics about that but i'm looking forward to that scene when i am uh when it happens in season two episode eight um yeah because i feel like i feel like you kind of have to go two different ways 
Like, either go that route, where they can communicate with each other but are fully separate, or you go the route where they can bleed into each other and, like, stuff starts happening because of that. Yeah. Yeah, like, they start being having... They start being able to, like, trigger over time without doing the elaborate thing. And maybe for, like, a short time or whatever, but, like, being able to use it to, uh, like, do stuff. Yeah, potentially. Uh, last tiny thing, love the music in the show. I think the that music's was the great. Thing I was gonna add on. Ninety percent of the music is the theme song in different arrangements or with different mm-hmm. uh, sections. I love a good, solid, consistent musical theme uh, replayed, and that is most of the music is just the different parts of the theme in different styles and different arrangements. And I think it's it's super super well done. Yeah, and just like at different points where it'll be like upbeat but then as things start kind of twisting like the key just subtly changes in the music yeah and suddenly it's in like a minor key and just gives the whole scene a different feel yeah um yeah i think the music in the show is a really high mark for it Um, yeah like it it creates a lot of like suspense and like an eerie atmosphere um but then they throw in like the chipper office music at points um (laughs) Defiant Jazz. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I just, I love the intro in general. Like, after each episode, there'd be, like, a new thing in the intro. I'd be like, oh, Mm. I know what that is now. Yeah. Cool. I think that's the big stuff that I had. I didn't really have anything else. Cozy, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, okay, so I just found out there is a book... Yes, I did see this. the world of Severance, but from the creators. It's just, like, free on Apple um, books or something. Uh, That's, like, from, like, it's, like, a Lumen book or whatever. So I think uh, I might have to read that. That looks interesting. You can report back. Sounds good. Then I think think it's pretty obvious what way this is going to (laughs) go. But out of formality, Tim... Uh, would you give Severance a yaw or a nah? Yeah, I mean, definitely a yaw. This this is uh, my favorite TV show I've watched in a very long time. Um, Same here. Everyone should watch the show. I'm very much looking forward to the second and question mark number of seasons. I, this, I, I share concern over, like, these shows are notoriously difficult to end, but I have basically liked almost everything in this show up to this point so i'm gonna keep an open mind about where it goes from here because i think it's been great yeah and i think you know we've i'm hoping that if you've made it to this point in the podcast you did choose to uh pause and go back and, (laughs) and actually watch the show and then came back and listened to the podcast but um if not there is still plenty of stuff that we haven't Oh, yeah. talked about about the show like there is definitely still value so if you've somehow made it this far in the podcast and haven't listened or watched the show i would still say go watch the show <laughs> yeah again yeah. like the just the technical quality is so high that it's so worth watching just from a like cinematography and acting perspective it's just so good um mm-hmm. yeah you you should definitely check it out well, I'm glad to hear you liked it, and I'm uh, glad that I <laughs> forced it into my schedule by pitching it to you. There you go. Success. <laughs> and I'm glad I ranted about it on the podcast, so that forced both of you to pitch it to each other. <laughs> That's true. That's it true. Was, it was inevitable. 
All right, and for our next segment, I'm going to toss it over to Cozy. Cozy, what do you have for us this episode? I just have, like, a quandary, and I will pose to you guys. So I was thinking about how differently I listen to podcasts, like, now versus before the pandemic. And I was thinking about, like, what other ways my, like, how I consume media has changed, both, like, as my job has changed and I can listen less to, like, podcasts and such at work. And as I, like, I think the pandemic changed, like, a lot of my, like, habits for, like, commuting and how I, like, uh, how often I'm in a car. Uh, We also moved to a place where you don't need a car as much. So, like, that makes a difference, too. But I just think, like, the way I kind of, like, approach media is very different now than, like, pre-pandemic. And I thought maybe you guys also had uh, changed how you consume media because of the pandemic or just, like, over time as things happen. I was just curious uh, what you have noticed in your uh, media consumption habits. Yeah, so I think for me, the most directly related to the pandemic is my... uh, slowing down of listening to podcasts because that was majority of the time that was something I did while commuting and I pretty much hardly ever commute anymore if I Mm -hmm. do I'll still listen to one but I just don't anymore and I've never been able to like focus on work while listening to a podcast because I want to focus on the podcast I'll turn something else on like a YouTube show or something that I don't care if I miss three quarters of it or something you've Um, seen before yeah yeah Um, but podcasts specifically, I just listen to a lot less of, which is disappointing for me because there's a lot that are in my queue that I like Mm -hmm. want to go back and listen to. I just don't have the time. And also I have two children now and one (laughs) of them is able to hear what's on my podcasts, uh, and understand it. And, uh, there's a lot of podcasts that I don't want her to listen to and hear and understand. So (laughs) that, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Not, not to say that I listen to like erotica, but, uh, just a lot of, uh, a lot of swearing and stuff that, you know, a three-year-old doesn't need in their vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to be honest, I don't think mine have changed a ton. I think in terms of podcasts, um, the only I do listen to less probably, but I, I think it has more to do with like my role in my job. Like I, like you sort of said, cozy. I'm in a similar boat where I do a lot less like data entry and like a lot less <laughs> like busy work than I used to, and I do more like talking to people and like writing. Like I can't write you know like with any sort of creativity i can like write little emails but i can't like write articles or you know complex things while i'm listening to a podcast and i most of my day now is doing that or like being in meetings so uh from that perspective it's gone down the only thing that has gone up we talked about before is tiktok i (laughs) watch hours of tiktok maybe not a day but hours a week probably close to an hour a day i'm on tiktok all the time since the pandemic it's a scourge and it's a blessing um uh yeah deeply entertaining deeply addictive lots of tiktok otherwise most of the rest of my media is basically the same i play roughly the same like percentage of video games i've been reading slightly more i've been doing more reading mostly star wars books unfortunately um but yeah but otherwise no (laughs) As a part of my uh, whole thing I talked about at the top of the podcast, I picked up a Kindle and have 
been also trying to do some more reading recently. I can share my Star Wars list with you if you want. You know, I've got my own list, but if I finish it, I will uh, I will let you know. I wouldn't recommend I... it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think the other big one for me that is less pandemic-related and more having more children-related is uh, I definitely play a lot less games, just in general. Sure. Like, I think... I think there'll probably be a point someday where I play some more um, again, just as my kids get older and either can play them with me or are just less uh, babies. Less needy. And, like, yeah, and like... Can entertain themselves for a certain amount of time but... without uh, <laughs> needing constant attention. Right. Um and so, you know, I'm perfectly happy to give that to them and not play games, which is why I don't play nearly as many games anymore. But I'm also a lot more tired with two children. So uh, sure. at the end of the day, I'm happy to, like, just zone out and sit and watch a show with Kayla for an hour and then go to bed or or just go to bed than yeah. to, like, stay up until 1 a.m. playing games, knowing that my daughter will come into my room at 5.30 a.m. Yeah. Um. But yeah. yeah, so that's that's definitely changed. But yeah, that's definitely more because of increasing children. Sure. I think for me, the other thing I like, I the thing I really realized this week was that I don't really listen to like weekly podcasts anymore. Almost. And I used to listen to a handful and I was always behind on them. And I just kind of like at some point, like gave up on it and like I always like they kept like they stayed in my feed they were always like oh I'll come back to that at some point like I want to be caught up on whatever show and I think like I've kind of like finally just like let that go as like a thing that doesn't matter that much to me is like having listened to every episode of whatever even podcasts I really like you know it's like I am very selective about the podcast I actually feel the need to like listen to every episode of um, but I also started listening to like just one episode of a podcast and it's not something I like I, I would do it on occasion if something like got recommended but I, I started following some like newsletters and stuff where like or I have like a podcast there's like a feed of a person who like does three podcast episodes a week and so I will like I have such an easier time listening to one episode of a podcast whereas like I don't feel like I need to like listen to a whole season of a thing at a time. I don't feel like I need to, like, have enough, like, consecutive times during a week to actually listen to it, um, like, every day so that I remember what's happening in the podcast or whatever, because I forget things if it's, like, a week apart. Um, so, like, I've, like, discovered, like, joy in, like, just one episode of a podcast. And I feel like you can kind of get, like, a snapshot of, like, what the podcast is about without, like, feeling the need to, like, keep up with it. And then I just feel like I get the best podcast content because instead of like feeling like I've spent hundreds of hours listening to mediocre McElroy jokes I just <laughs> wow. get, like, the very best Oof. episodes of like uh like uh, every once in a while it's like a radio lab which is a podcast I used to listen to all their um all of their episodes and I really like radio lab but it was just like too much to keep up with now I feel like if I see a couple like a couple people recommend a Radiolab episode, then I go listen to that episode. And I feel like I 
am part of the Radio Lab listenership without needing to listen to like everyone. So I feel like I get the best of the podcast listening world instead of feeling constantly behind on everything. I would like to clarify that um, every episode of Hard Sell is the best episode of Hard Sell. So Obviously. for any of you thinking about a similar strategy, like Hard Don't Sell can remain in your feed. Yeah, like, Hard Sell is mandatory. You can do this with the other ones. <laughs> no bad McElroy jokes here. Um, I'm, I'm sorry opposite. if that was maybe too pointed, but... No, no, it's fine. The 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 Mackel hive can come for us um the uh as all of us have been to a mcelroy live show um the other thing that i was going to say is that the i've listened to way fewer like actual play fiction podcasts i'm i'm the opposite end i listen to still plenty of like weekly news and like comedy podcasts because it's easy and i can do stuff while i'm doing it Mm -hmm. i don't i've like i don't have as much time as i used i'm busier with work and i'm busy i have like a thousand other hobbies that i want to get through these star wars comics don't read themselves and i can't (laughs) i can like listen to a sort of like jokey podcast or listen to a news podcast while i'm reading the worst comic to be printed but I can't both listen to an actual play while I do that. So I have cut down on some of my like fiction and like actual play podcast content, but otherwise it's mostly the same for me. Yeah. I think for my podcast specifically, I, my listening habits as far as what I listen to have not changed. There's just been ones that have been cut out (laughs) every, all the other mainstays are still there. I will still listen to every episode of Hey Riddle Riddle. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah but i think like and then the other thing i i think i know cody you mentioned video games and like playing less video games and i think i've uh like during the pandemic i think it slowed down a little i actually was playing like more games because it was just like more present like i could it was just a lot easier to like be done with work see the mm. xbox and be like oh yeah i'm like i played like near automata i played outer mm. wilds like I, it was a lot easier to get into those like bigger, longer games that I've enjoyed playing and really wanted to like know the story for that. Like I, I was, I don't know why it's harder for me now, but like, I don't know what the pandemic was. Maybe it's just like having fewer plans and like being, um, more like you could, it was more present in like the place I was working even though, like, I still work from home a few days a week. It just, like, doesn't come to mind as much when I'm, like, uh, working from the office and stuff to, like, oh, go play that game that's, like, sitting over there. (laughs) So I think I played a lot more video games when we were, like, working from home full time. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah, I I think the height of my being back into gaming was just before my second child was born uh, when we were raiding in WoW. Yeah. Um that was definitely when i was playing the most again during the pandemic but since then it's been drastic cut in the amount of time i spend on a game (laughs) yeah same to be honest tiktok takes up too much time (laughs) i'm kind of joking kind of not well maybe you can join me in my uh in my search for a light phone i'll pass thank you though forward (laughs) just thought i'd offer i'm happy my tiktok hole Hey, you know, if you ever uh, if you ever change your mind, you want to quit cold turkey, you know where to find me. 
I don't, because you're not reachable anymore, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and lastly, I'm going to throw it over to Tim. Uh, Tim, what do you have to pitch for me this episode? Yeah, um, speaking of how you have lots of time to play video games, I'm going to pitch you a video game. Um, All right. uh, Cody, have you played the Max Payne games? Um, I have not. I'm vaguely familiar with them, and I think I have uh, been around other people while they were playing it when I was younger, but I've never actually played one. Sure. So Max Payne and Alan Wake are both games in a shared universe by Remedy Entertainment. Um, I've played none of these games. However, I did play another game set in this universe called Control, which I will be pitching you today. You've not played Control, correct? I have not. I do own it because the Epic Game Store gave it to me for free one day. Nice. But uh, I have not played it. Because I think you you kind of hinted... uh, a long, long time ago, that this could potentially be a pitch. Sure. And to not play it. Yeah, I like this game. Um, I can't really talk about it because it's hard to say anything. Um, I can give you a one sentence. So the, in general, the like Max Payne Alan Wake world is a kind of the reason I wanted to pitch it is because it gives me sort of, in some ways. It gives me severance vibes a little bit, mm. um, and I want to talk about why it gives me severance vibes, because I'm not 100% sure why. I mean, part of me is, but part of me isn't, and I, you'll see when you play the game. But all this to say, Remedy specializes in these shooters. It's it's basically a shooter, but that are like kind of surreal and like a little weird. There's like weird stuff going on. There's usually some sort of like supernatural influence sometimes you may or may not have magic powers there's kind of an explanation but it's left ambiguous this is what i understand having played none of these games um and only playing control so control is an action adventure game again basically a shooter and you play the character of jesse faden uh she has found slash arrived at slash been brought to a building called the old house which serves as the headquarters of the federal bureau of control the fbc which is a secret u.s government agency tasked with containing and studying the various phenomena they find that violate the laws of reality um and so jesse shows up on the doorstep of the FBC, which is hidden to the rest of the world, and the game begins. Uh, And I can't say anything else without spoiling the plot. So that's all I can say. Um, Yeah, I I think I... The vaguest concept I knew was that there was some element of, like, weird magic-y type stuff and that you like go into an basically an office building and i think most of it is played like in an office building but yeah sure that, i don't know so yeah there's I clearly there's, don't have a whole lot of info on this yeah the reason i wanted to pitch it right after severance is because there's lots of liminal space stuff 
that again liminal space um the like liminal spaces subreddit is definitely an influence on some of the spaces in this thing there's lots of like funny office politics stuff these games also are kind of immersive sim e where there's lots of like little recordings you can find and lots of little notes from coworkers in this office space and stuff like that and some of it gives me severance vibes there's like long arguments about what food should be in the vending machine of the break room and like it derives a lot of humor from in a similar way that severance does where like it's funny that dylan is obsessed with getting like finger traps he should be obsessed with trying to get out of hell as opposed to obsessed with like (laughs) uh trying to get more finger traps it's similar of like these people are investigating like world shattering events and they're spending their time like arguing over like what song should be played over the loudspeakers at the birthday party next month and like the random little stuff um interesting but i like this game i it you don't need to finish it if you it, it it's about 11 hours long mm-hmm. i felt like i basically got what i wanted from this game about nine and a half hours in and then turned on like god mode where i killed everyone in one shot and just finished the story um the the thing i like is just sort of like the theme i i like the direction the story goes the story's not bad but the thing that like sets it apart for me is i think the voice acting's really good and i think just like the aesthetic and the vibes of this game are like off the charts to the point that i fully ripped off a sort of like supernatural character from this game for a D&D campaign I'm running. Completely just like stole it whole cloth uh, and used it because I think the like vibes are immaculate uh, in this game. Yeah, I've always kind of gotten the feeling from this game in particular that it's one of those that it's best to go in like mostly blind. Yeah. Um that is the vibe I've gotten. So that's partially why I also held off on playing it to wait until, you know, inevitably I would get pitched it. Who knows how long down the road. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I am interested to see where it goes. Nice. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of hard sell. Uh, remember to drop us a rating and a review of us wherever you find your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Hard Sell Show, uh, where we may announce uh, just before streaming uh, that we will stream on Twitch, also at Hard Sell Show, um, where we recently had Kyle on as a guest for his first experience of Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah, we're thinking about um, making that a series. So check out Twitter. Kyle's going to keep dipping. He got very... Uh, uh, enamored with his carbuncle which is a big spectral <laughs> bunny thing uh so i, I think we're going to keep playing final fantasy 14 so check it out on on twitch and hard sell show uh i've also been playing it again so nice i will uh i would love to hop in and carry him through some dungeons yeah we'll have to do that yeah um you can send us an email at hard show at gmail.com and until next time we'll catch you on the floopity flop Catch you on the flippity flop.